Senator Kristen Phillips-Hill joins me to talk about Pennsylvania's latest budget. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President and CEO of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. And my guest is a returning guest uh, this time. It's uh, Senator Kristen Phillips-Hill, or as we affectionately call her, KPH. Uh, KPH, thanks for joining me on Brews and Views again. Oh, Matt, thank you so much. It's truly a pleasure to join you today and uh, share some thoughts with your listeners. Well, appreciate that. And uh, for those that don't know uh, Senator um, Phillips Hill, uh, she is from York County. She served in the House a couple of terms and then uh, joined the Senate, uh, what, in 2018? Was that uh, when you were first elected? That is correct. Sworn in on January 1st of 2019 and still have a great fondness in my heart for the House of Representatives. Well, uh, and I know prior to that, uh, Kristen, you uh, were a small businesswoman. And uh, what we appreciate about that is, you know, we say we like the folks who have uh, not only signed the back of a paycheck, but the front of a paycheck. And that that's an important experience and understanding that uh, is desperately needed in government. And I guess that's probably a good way for us to uh, be talking about the budget uh, that recently passed um, to start the new fiscal year, the 21-22 fiscal year that, that begins July 1st. Um, what's your take on this budget? It seems like uh, uh, there was more money flowing into Harrisburg than, than, than we certainly needed because I guess those, uh, the money trees down in Washington, D.C. Uh, were shaken and a few billion dollars fell off for, for Pennsylvania. Uh, Kristen, what's your take on this budget uh, that ju- that just passed and did so before the end of uh, June? Well, I think the good news is that after nearly a year and a half of, of really struggling through the COVID-19 pandemic, um, in large part to the management of the administration, we're now, I think, in a position to move forward and we need to focus on our recovery. And there were some things that I liked in the budget. There were some things that I didn't like in the budget. Um, I I think most importantly, how quickly things have changed, right? So initially the, the governor presented the General Assembly with a budget with an 8% increase in the personal income tax. It really seemed Uh, tone deaf and and out of touch with the the great reality. We had the second most restrictive economic shutdown in the nation. And so many of our businesses and our families, our nonprofits, our local governments, everyone was was truly, truly struggling. Um, So, you know, to be able to nix an 8% income tax increase, I think, is a good thing. And, and I think that being able to deposit $2.5 billion into the state's rainy day fund, um, preserving some of those temporary federal funds for future use 
is is really a, a smart thing and, and a responsible thing to do. Um, we know that the independent fiscal office's projections paint a bit of a bleak picture for the future. And being able to have those reserves, um, I think, protects the Commonwealth and puts us in a better fiscal position. Yeah, on that, uh, Kristen, I think the IFO, Independent Fiscal Office, which is uh, to be an independent, uh, uh, you know, analyzer of projections, they're they're looking at a deficit next year of of two billion dollars. So very quickly, we may be uh, dipping into those um, rainy day funds to pay for this. But but Kristen, I, I know that one of the biggest problems and and part of the the growth in the spending. Uh, in this latest budget, one having uh, sufficient resources because of the money coming from the federal government, as well as I think the state dollars doing better. But one of the the real challenges or problems that you see every single year is that uh, Governor Wolf has been overspending money, uh, particularly in um, the Department of Human Services. In fact, almost a you know uh, over eight hundred and fifty million dollars or, you know, almost a billion dollars in cost overruns, meaning these were dollars that you as a legislator did not appropriate, were not approved, but the governor seems to have some unilateral powers um, to exceed spending by a significant amount of money. Um, Why is that? Why is that happening? Um, What are the excuses given for it? And then how do we curtail that? Because this sure seems like uh, unilateral powers being usurped that are supposed to be reserved to the General Assembly. You are absolutely correct. And and there's so much to unpack there, right? So the spending increase for the Department of Human Services above and beyond uh, what were appropriated, um, I, I believe was close to a billion dollars. I, I think it was put, it was definitely over $850 million. Yeah, I think it's actually $1.8 billion in this budget of, you know, a, a nearly 12% increase um, because of uh, these cost overruns and the additional spending uh, that's going into this budget. Correct. And I will tell you that this has been a problem since I arrived in Harrisburg. And the way I explain it to folks at home is, you know, uh, imagine if you set your family budget and, and you know, your, your wife, your husband comes home and says, oh, honey, I just booked us on a luxurious Tahitian cruise. We really need a vacation. And you say, well, well how are we going to pay for it? And, and they reply, don't worry, we'll figure it out at the end of the year. Um, you'd probably be looking for a divorce attorney. Yes. Um, I can tell you this much. My husband loves me, but that would be a struggle for him (laughs) to overcome. So um, I believe this is such a problem in Harrisburg. I've proposed legislation working with Representative Seth Grove that would put a question on the ballot to amend the Constitution to require the governor to come back to the General Assembly for approval to overspend the appropriated budget. You cannot continue to do this year over year. It is bad fiscal policy. Uh, Some people may argue that maybe we're not 
truly appropriating what we should? Okay, so let's appropriate what we should. But that being said, let's make sure that we stick to our budget. Really simple budgeting uh, principle I learned from my dad when I was a kid. And that was, you can't spend more than you make. <laughs> it, it just it just doesn't work. And I think that's a pretty simple principle that even children can understand, right? If you have a dollar and you want to go to the candy store and buy a candy bar, you can't spend more than the dollar that you have in your pocket. And government needs to follow that same principle. So that, that clearly is something in the future we need to address. Yeah, Kristen, it would seem that that is um, how our, our uh, budgeting process is already set up, that a governor should not be able to spend more than what the General Assembly has appropriated, because we know that it is uh, the General Assembly that has to pass a bill to put on his desk um, that limits, you know, the executive's power. So it's kind of amazing that we're going to have to, I think, amend the Constitution in order to uh, make sure that an executive doesn't spend more money than what the House and Senate have appropriated. Right. And clearly, um, I believe the people that I represent want a more fiscally responsible approach to governing. And again, this governor, and and I can say this governor, uh, because I've only served uh, in the legislature under this governor, has failed to stick to the spending constraints in every budget since I've been here. Well, one of the areas um, that we saw a significant increase in spending was in education, and everybody, you know, wants to support education. and And you uh, yourself were a former uh, school board mem- member, a public school board member. Um, but I think a lot of uh, parents and and kids were frustrated by uh, schools that weren't open, that uh, they were not prepared to do things online, um, and uh, time and again. Public schools complain that cyber schools don't need more money because it's easier to teach online, yet they were saying, we need more money, and they ended up getting hundreds of millions of dollars more after not losing a single penny uh, during the pandemic. Um, does this seem like uh, you know the, the right allocation of, of education dollars? What, what do you think about, uh, you know the, I think it's like over 600 million more put into the public school system. Yeah, I mean, we recognize that every school, public schools, private schools, parochial schools, charter schools, they have all faced unprecedented challenges during COVID-19, as have our families. And state funding for schools has gone up 68% since 1990 and 28.8% since 2012. One of my biggest concerns is that this is much of these dollars that are going into our schools are one-time non-recurring federal Mm -hmm. dollars. And I think we, we all remember 
the false narrative of the Corbett education cuts. 2008, the Obama administration plowed a ton of money into states for education, and many school districts used those funds to hire more personnel. They used them for things that were recurring expenses. I'm very concerned that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. I wrote a letter to not only the superintendents in the 11 school districts that I represent, but every single school board director to share that these are one-time federal dollars. Please do not use them for recurring expenses um, because the federal uh, printing presses at some point will be shut down and it will create great challenges um, for those school districts that make those decisions. And I will tell you that some public schools did an exceptional job uh, offering parents the choice of, of education under these unprecedented circumstances. Um, many schools were offering uh, in-person, hybrid, or at-home learning, but not all schools did. And, and for those children and those families in school districts that did not reopen, um, that stayed closed, those families really, really struggled. And unfortunately, what we found was that it was often in the school districts uh, where children face and families face some of the greatest struggles. Parents having to go back to work, no affordable child care available, no child care at all available. Um, and so they had to look for alternative means of educating their children to meet their children's educational needs and to meet their families' needs. And many of those children and those families turned to um, alternatives to public education. And I think you know, I have really been a champion of the EITC and OSTC programs for yes. students who I think, you know, their families believe that they can benefit from a different learning environment. Um, I'm so fortunate to represent the city of York. And in the city of York is just such a gem and it's Logos Academy. And what Logos Academy has been able to do for their students and their families, many of whom are, are below the poverty line, the empowerment, the, the exceptional education they receive, the bright futures that they all have as a result of that education, um, job training for family members who are struggling to, to make ends meet, having tuition that's based on your ability to pay, helping give families those job skills so that they can earn more money, pay more, and, and lift them up to future success. I mean, it is really, really exceptional. And there's an additional $40 million for the EITC and OSTC programs. Um, would I have liked to have seen more? Yes. Um, but I, I do believe that this new money will help give more parents a choice for their child's education. Um, and we're just going to have to come back and, and see what we can do in our next budget cycle. Yeah, and uh, as a, a personal supporter of Logos uh, Academy in New York, I, I can uh, um, emphasize or underscore 
um, what they are doing there that uh, is helping so many kids. And and yes, uh, we're, we're, we're glad we saw an expansion of the education improvement tax credit by 40 million. Um, but uh, we know that there are tens of thousands of kids left on waiting lists that won't be able to find uh, their Logos Academy across the state because um, we didn't expand it far enough. So uh, that was one of the disappointing things in this budget that we didn't uh, uh, wipe out that waiting list uh, of kids, but I hope we will uh, come back to it. Now, uh, Kristen, as, as we kind of wrap up here, um, uh, obviously the coming years will be difficult, uh, particularly if we're looking at, at deficits. But what are some of the other areas that uh, you see we have got to uh, start addressing in order to make Pennsylvania a more business friendly, uh, a state that is going to be growing rather than losing population and losing congressional seats? Like you guys are going to be working on new congressional districts that uh, have one less congressional seat because uh, other states are growing much faster than Pennsylvania. What what are those priorities that uh, you want to be working on to make sure Pennsylvania isn't losing population, uh, but growing and attracting jobs here in the Keystone State? Um, absolutely. No doubt. We want to put Pennsylvania on a pathway to prosperity. I will say this. There is a kind of wonky uh, provision in the budget and it's for something called dynamic modeling. So when we look at a bill, a provision, we look one year. We don't look five years and 10 years into the future. And I think dynamic modeling is going to help assure our long-term economic success. That was in the budget that we passed, uh, a yeoman's job done by Representative Frank Ryan, um, that having foresight, again, will help put us on that path to prosperity. But I believe our future economic success can really be prioritized through regulatory reform and tax reform, expanding the base, reducing the taxes, emulating the success of other states. You know, I talk to constituents who leave and go to other places and they're going to Texas and Tennessee and Florida. So what can we do to create the kind of environment where they want to stay? And not only do they want to stay, but their children want to stay where where our kids can say our future success is here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And I truly believe that regulatory reform and tax reform are, are the keys to that future success. Well, and hopefully uh, those will be things that the uh, House and Senate will take up. Uh, we know that uh, Governor Wolf, unfortunately, is not all that interested in um, making a more business-friendly state. Um, but that that's our next job is to uh, replace him with uh, somebody who recognizes uh, the great opportunities here uh, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and that we will see that kind of regulatory uh, reform and tax reform and, and truly make, I, I like to say, make Pennsylvania the beast of the Northeast um, and start putting some pressure on New York and New Jersey to have better, uh, you know, 
tax and, and regulatory policies themselves. So they stopped sending people to Pennsylvania. Uh, not that we don't like you New Jerseyans, right, uh, Kristen? Um, but uh, uh, their politics uh, tend to uh, um, go the wrong direction, if you know what I mean. Well, I certainly think that most of the folks who are uh, coming to Pennsylvania are doing it because they are looking for uh, protecting their freedoms and and finding more opportunity. And they want to pay less in taxes. They want less of a regulatory burden. And they are finding that here in the Commonwealth. So we're not perfect, but we are better than New Jersey. And that's a good thing. Uh, but I, I definitely think that um, eliminating job killing regulations will help create jobs. And we also, and we didn't touch on this, but we really also need to address some liability protections. And I will say that one of the bright spots, there's always all these extra bills um, coming out of each chamber. We were able to get uh, Representative Barb Glimes' agritourism liability protection legislation onto the governor's desk. I was proud to co-prime uh, the, the bill in the Senate uh, companion bills. Barb's is on the governor's desk. It's a start. And, and we need to continue uh, moving forward with liability protections for every aspect of, of Pennsylvania economy. That will certainly help. And, and of course, the other thing that we did not mention here today is um, getting rid of the unilateral overtime rule that Governor Wolf imposed. And we know that that regulation drive up costs for, for all of our employers. And when they drive up costs for employers, they reduce the number of people that they employ. So I think we have uh, some great opportunity in the future. Um, I, I know that we're good, but boy, we could be a lot better. Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, thwarting all of the bad ideas that uh, Governor Wolf has, has laid out there, uh, we, we, it'd be remiss not to note that as well of, of uh, fending off really bad policy ideas that would have turned uh, Pennsylvania into the next Illinois um, if it were not for the efforts of the House and Senate to say no um, and to say those ideas of raising taxes and other bad policy ideas are, are DOA um, in the House and Senate. But uh, Kristen, thanks so much uh, for joining me again on Brews and Views, giving your take on this uh, latest budget. Um, I wish you uh, a, a healthy uh, summer and uh, we'll see you again in the fall. I will look forward to it. Thanks so much, Matt. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.